Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Here we are again. We're here again. And yet another listener question. Right. Yeah, thanks. got a lot of those. You want to read it this time? I'll read it, yes. Okay. Here is the question. We'll not mention the name, but the question is high level. What are the trade-offs between owning a rental property versus investing in the market? He then goes on to say, thanks for hosting an incredibly helpful podcast. I stumbled on your show as I was trying to increase my understanding of financial planning, and I'm now a devoted listener. My wife and I just purchased our first home. We have a 30-year fixed, low interest rate, strong housing market in the suburbs of a major city. As we start a family, we realize we'll need a larger home in five to eight years. Should we plan to purchase a second larger home while maintaining our current home as a rental property? which I assume requires less risky investments today? Or should we invest more aggressively today and plan to sell our current home when we upgrade? Hoping you can provide a framework to help think through potential return trade-offs of each scenario. For example, how should we compare the return on a rental property with the appreciation of that property and eventual sale versus the returns that the same money was invested in the market? Also, I imagine there's a trade-off between liquidity of owning a rental versus investing in the market. Mm. Our home today is worth between six hundred and fifty thousand and seven hundred thousand. The interest rate is two point six percent. Unsure what rent we could expect, but maybe somewhere around three thousand per month if we were to rent out our current home. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. We got some details there, mm-hmm. and I think the gist of it is one on the personal side. New couple just bought a home. Going to need a new home. Down the right. road, his family grows. Right. Do they plan to keep their current home as a rental or do they plan to sell their current home and buy a bigger one? And then high level from there, what are the trade-offs between owning a rental property versus investing the same capital that would have gone there in the market? Oh, such a good question. And I think it's one that I think a lot of us think about. And I think there's some interesting things to think through here. I think so. And I'll jump right in. Yeah. That's okay. Now, this is five to eight years away. Uh-huh. According to this question. So I, there's some time for this to play out. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, if you're going to keep your current home as a rental and you're going to buy a bigger home mm-hmm. to move your family into, the biggest question comes down to where you're going to get the cash to do that. Yeah. Which he talks about saving. And he's like, do I save more conservatively now for that down payment or do I allow myself to be more aggressive? Exactly. Yeah. And if we look to his question, his current home's worth 650 to seven. Right. Say just to use a round number. Five to eight years from now, the bigger home's a million dollars. Sure. Just use a round number. So yeah. if he were to want to put 20% down, yep. just as a starting point, yep. the question is, could you save up that $200,000 over the next five to eight years right. to put the 20% down or would that become a challenge? Sure. Yep. That's a great place to start. I love that question. The next question I would want to know is, do you want to be a landlord? Sounds fun. I think we can easily start to think this through from a context of what's the better rate of return for me. And we'll get there. But just do you want to be who someone calls when the washer breaks Mm -hmm. or there's a leaky sink or the trash guy doesn't show up 
or <laughs> a plant dies. <laughs> like it's literally everything with being, and now you can easily say, I don't want to do that. I want to be a landlord. I want to own a property, but I don't want to manage it. That's fine too. But then when we start talking about how you figure out whether or not it's a good investment for you, you need to build in an additional cost of a property manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of goes to the, is it a good investment side of things? Yep. Fast forward five years. It's time to buy that next home. You're going to have hopefully some equity built up in your mm-hmm. current home. Do you treat that equity as an investment by keeping it in that property and turn it into a rental? And your point, Scott, is if you do so, just make sure that one, it's not just an investment like the market would be where you just go buy some funds and it's totally passive. Yeah, It's an investment that's going to require some of your time, your energy, maybe potentially more depending on how that goes. Yes. Or if you decide to get a property manager to do that, you're going to be paying for that, which is going to detract from some of that return you're expecting to get. Yeah. And I think it's like a reasonable estimate, like 8% to 10% of rental income, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on the area, you're going to give up some of the upside there, but it can save you some headache. Headache. Yeah. There's just a cost. That's a really important question. I think to me, the other important, I would want to know more because if we look at the big question up above, congrats on your marriage and congrats on the family. And, you know, it sounds like you do want to grow into a family and grow your family. And I want to learn more about like, what do you want your career to look like? How much flexibility do you want need in your life? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of that's going to tie into how you're going to go build out your balance sheet. And I think where you're going with that is if you have two mortgages, you may in some ways become beholden to that paycheck and maybe not have a whole lot of flexibility of right. what you do. Right. So like, and then also there's just the, well, what type of a career are you in? How risky is your occupation? <laughs> right. Cause yeah, rentals, real estate can be great, but you know, I'm sure that on some forum somewhere, there are wonderful stories about how tenants didn't pay in the state of California during COVID because they didn't have to. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, we can think easily think, oh, that's just some big corporation they're not paying. No, it's also some young family who now has to carry two mortgages while they have a job. And if they lose their job, they could be putting themselves in peril Yeah, or have to go sell at a tough time. So there's just the moment you want to go expand and own real estate. I want to see a lot of resiliency on a balance sheet and a lot of resiliency in your occupation. And I just want to make sure you've thought through all the things that could potentially happen so that if they do, you're prepared. Yeah. Because it's easy to look at the rosy side of it that, hey, I'm just going to go, you know, someone's going to pay $3,000 a month and it costs me $3,000 a month to live in this house. So I'm just going to get the upside appreciation over the next 30 years. And we've seen appreciation of real estate for the last Well, since like the early 1980s on, we've basically seen interest rates fall from the high teens back when my parents had some of their first homes to these like really, really low rates we have today. And because of that, every time you went and sold a home, you could basically go buy more home for the same income. Mm -hmm. But one of my concerns for people is that if interest rates eventually rise, which someday they might, they might not, who knows? But if they do, the amount that James can borrow, if his income stays the same, the loan amount he'll be able to take out is going to get smaller as interest rates go up. Whereas for the last 40 plus years, every time you show up at the bank, largely, 
they show up and even if you have the same income, they go, you can borrow more now, <laughs> you know, and you've paid out down more equity. So every time you stepped up into the next home, you just could, mm-hmm. that train could end. So I'd want to be really, really, I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of rambling here a touch, but I'd want to be really, really thoughtful about where my rate of return is going to come from in my rental property. And I wouldn't want to rely so much on the appreciation of the home as I would the cash flow yeah. of the home. Yeah. Yeah. Real estate's an interesting thing. Like if you go get a real estate, look at a real estate fund, for example, people raising money to put money in a real estate fund, they're going to calculate something called the IRR, which is just what's the total return of capital we're putting in. Yeah, and it's internal be, rate of return. Yes. It's going to have factors like what is the cash flow? What is the appreciation potential? How is that potentially magnified by things like leverage? All things that are very true, but maybe not as applicable when you are a family owning a property and yeah. it's cash flow that you need. You're living and dying by cash flow. I think mm-hmm. when you look at 2008, when a lot of people got hurt in the real estate market, it wasn't necessarily the real estate. The real estate eventually recovered. Yeah, It, it was, was being leverage. overly leveraged and not yeah. having enough cash flow or not having an income because we went through a big recession. Right, People lost jobs. They didn't have the liquidity. And so, yes, real estate can be a great asset that produces great income. and produces appreciation over time. But you have to be in a position where you can maintain that asset because it's not a free asset in the sense that just sits there. It requires your money each month. No, and there are some real benefits, right? On the tax side of things too, right? Like if you do, and this is why people get so excited about it. Like James, if you go buy a rental property, you get to write off all the interest on the mortgage. You get to write off the property taxes. If you had a property manager, you could write that off. You can write off all that stuff up to the level of your income. And I just want to be really clear about that because sometimes people miss that. They'll think like, hey, I'm going to rent this place. It's going to make 36 grand a year. I'm just using the example of 3K a month, but my costs are going to be, you know, let's just say 46 grand a month. So I'm going to get a $10,000 write off against my income. That's not how it works. On the tax return, you just get to write off for passive income the income minus the losses. And that's where it caps. You don't get to write off that extra 10K on your income at home either. That'll kind of suss out when you eventually go sell the property down the line, but it doesn't help you as much cash flow wise mm. right now. Mm. And I just got really, really nerdy. I apologize. James is looking at me cross-eyed. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> are, we, are we still going here? Uh, <laughs> no, no, but if, uh, we, if we do go high level real quick, what do you think is a reasonable rate of return for... If I'm going to look at like, should I consider holding this as a piece of on my balance sheet versus like investing in the stock market? Yes. So there's a couple different components to the return on real estate. Yeah. One is the cash flow piece. Mm -hmm. If I have a home that I bought for $100,000 and it pays me $5,000 per year in rental income, that's almost, it's a 5% return. If you almost look at it, like you'd look at the dividend on a stock. What if we just took this 3,000 a month and let's just say we get 36 grand a year because we get full, we never have a vacancy, which one of the things I'd probably want to bake in would be a month of vacancy just in case the tenant rolls, but let's just call it 36 grand. And let's say the house is worth 650. Yep. What is that like five and a half percent or so? Five and a half percent. I get five and a half percent rate of return. Five and a half percent rate of return. That's part one. And then appreciation on the house. And then appreciation on the house. So let's say you get another 3%. So I get eight and a half percent. Eight and a half percent. Dude, I'm doing pretty well. You're doing well. Is there anything I'm missing? You have to compare it relative to what else could you be investing in. And are there any costs? And there's costs. <laughs> yes. So there's two things. When we're talking about appreciation, so let's say the home goes up in value 3%. Yeah, well, we saw that during COVID, right? Like you'd hear like, 
you know, in the last year, home prices in your neighborhood went up 25% because in some places they did. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy. Mm -hmm. That's not a normal year. That's not a normal year. I think historically, if you just look at U.S. real estate as a whole, obviously it's not all created equal. Yeah. But it's like 4%. Yeah. Three to 4% a year appreciation mm -hmm. on average. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're in San Diego. It's gone up a lot more. Mm -hmm. now, does that continue? Who knows? No idea. There's other places in the country that hasn't gone up as much. Yep. The thing with real estate is if I stop me for getting too geeky on this, but when no, I'm investing I, in I think where we're going is decent. Like here's where my mind's going. You tell me if it's going to a different place. Cash flow, five and a half percent. Yeah. I'm gonna assume I get an appreciation of anywhere from three to four percent. Somewhere between eight Say and a half to nine and a half. But now I have to go figure out, well, what does it cost me to run this place? Because I don't get to keep all that five and a half percent of cash flow, right? I have to pay maybe a mortgage, maybe property taxes, maybe maintenance costs. Maybe I want to factor in a month of vacancy. Maybe I want a property manager. Totally. Right? If I want any of those things, it's bringing down my rate of return. Those things are bringing down your rate of return. But if I'm levered, mm -hmm. meaning if I have a mortgage, well, that increases my rate of return. Exactly. The short answer to this question is there's no easy answer and it requires some modeling. It requires some modeling. For yeah. example, if you have 100 grand to invest uh -huh. and the market increases by 8%. Yes. Your hundred grand turns to 108,000. That's easy. Pretty gotcha. simple math, right? Yeah. Now let's assume you go buy a rental property and that rental property is 500,000. Okay. And you use your 100,000 to put 20% down. Okay. Now let's assume that grows by 8%. Uh-huh. Well, the $500,000 home, the whole thing is growing by 8%, not just the portion of it that you put as a down payment. Right. So that 500,000 turns to 540,000. Yep. So you put down a hundred, it appreciated by $40,000, so on the surface, people say that's the beauty of real estate. You got a 40% return mm -hmm. because your equity increased by 40,000 and you only put in 100 grand. Yeah, that's because this thing called leverage. That's leverage, exactly. Now what that misses is what you were just covering. Uh, you have to back out the cost of capital, which is the interest rate you're paying on a mortgage. Yep, so I pay mortgage interest costs. Yep. And by the oh way, God. whenever you first buy a home, most of your payment is interest. On the front end, yeah. On the front end. Yep. It's not going to actually build a lot of equity. Yeah, it, first 10 years. First while sure. is a lot of interest. Then there's property taxes, and then there's maintenance costs, and there's going to be closing costs on the loan, for example. If you decide to actually access that money and sell the home to take it and go do something with, well, you're paying. Anywhere between 5% to 6% on the sale of the home. Exactly. Yep. So I think this is why you're talking about you have to run the numbers of how do you compare the market versus real estate. When I say the market, I mean the stock market. Yeah. Very carefully, I guess. You know, yes. there's a lot of details when you're looking at the return on real estate. That leverage piece can help you a ton if houses do what they've done in the last few years and just it go can. up. It can, yes. It can also hurt you a ton if housing prices don't do what they've so done true. in the last few years. You use that same example. If I buy that same $500,000 home, I put 100000 down. Mm-hmm. And let's just say the market immediately loses 20% overnight. Just use a so very I, simple so I invested 100K in the stock market and it loses 20%. So I have 80 grand. You got 80 grand left. Okay. You had a 20% downturn. Mm -hmm. You do that same thing in real estate. You invest 100 grand into a $500,000 home. Yep. Let's say it loses 20%. I'm just going to back out some of the other details real quick. Well, that $500,000 home turns to 400,000. Yeah. So basically all my equity is gone. All your equity is gone. Yeah. Because you owe the bank 400000 and the home's worth 400000 Also the power of leverage. Also the power of leverage. <laughs> now, thankfully, it goes yes. up over time, but that is a very real risk. And that's what happened to people in 2008. If you're going to have real estate as an investment, 
I'm for it if the numbers make sense. I'm also for you having extra liquidity and extra assets yes. that can sustain you Yes, because there's more risk of having two mortgages, of having some money tied up, of, of having to be able to service both of those homes. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I want to circle back on one thing. You said, how do you compare the numbers? Well, once you do work the numbers out, yeah. let's say including leverage and including some of the stuff, I say, wow, I can get a 10% return. Sure. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Should I do it? How long am I going to hold the asset? So I'm going to hold it for 30 years. Okay. Then I personally would want to go compare to the stock market and just say, are there any markets that are fairly easy for me to invest in, that have a fairly low cost for me to invest in, that have a decent amount of liquidity, that can give me a rate of return that could potentially be above that level? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is yes. I think so too. Yeah. Obviously no guarantees, but it's the concept of, I'm just making up this number of 10% that this real estate is Yeah. We're just making up a number. If I could get a better return with something that requires zero of my time or energy or phone calls in the middle of the night or mm-hmm. having to go over and repair something, why would I not take that return elsewhere in something totally passive? Like exactly. Market investment. Now, if real estate's 15%, 20% per year, okay. Totally. There's a premium that I'm getting because of that time and energy I'm taking too. To mm-hmm. And that's the key. I want to see, for clients who are interested in this, I want to see that it's the juice is worth the squeeze, Right. Because, you know, from a market standpoint, again, we don't know the future, but if you look at the S&P 500, as far as incept, since inception, around 10% rate of return, small cap stocks in the US around what, like 12 12%. to 13% rate of return. I want to see it beating those hurdles. Yeah. Other, If we're holding for a long period of time, otherwise, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And I think the reason why a lot of people end up wanting to own real estate is psychological. It's when you own a piece of real estate, you think like, I own something. It can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's true, but it's also it also makes it more risky because you have one door, especially in this instance. You have one door of rental real estate. It's not like you have a duplex or a triplex or you know four doors <laughs> where, there's, where there's more cash flow happening at the same time. So I would be careful, but I'd get back to wanting to know what do you want your life to look like? How much flexibility do you want in your life? how much net worth is going to be in real estate versus in other components of your life for the Mm -hmm. goals that matter to you. Yeah. And how much simplicity do you want in your life? Exactly. I think it often seems like I probably come off as anti-real estate when I talk to people about this and I'm absolutely not anti-real estate. No. I think it's just, there is so much of the American dream that's even just tied up in that. There's Mm -hmm. so much of this is what I'm supposed to do tied up in that. People already know the good sides of it. Yes. So I like to look at the risks associated with it or the, how do we take a sober-minded look at this? Well, you know the positives. Let's look at the other sides. So it often comes off that way. But if it makes sense, it makes sense and it can be a wonderful thing. We I just don't even make think sure we're, we're getting rid of the positives. I think what we're doing is, is we're looking at it through a plate glass window instead of the rose-colored glasses that I think a lot of people put out. Mm-hmm. You know, Because it's the idea of passive investing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the common term I'll hear when people go, I want to have rental property. So I have passive income. And I'm just like, it's the furthest thing from passive. It'll be passive for like your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Cause you'll go build it up from one door to two doors, to three doors, to five doors, to 20 doors over 30 or 40 years. If you really dedicated and have the time and wherewithal to do it. Yeah. And then they'll have mailbox money, but you're not going to have mailbox money. Yeah. Yep. And the last thing I would say is to your point on diversification or not diversification, people like it because it's tangible. 
I yes. can touch it. It's there. It's not going anywhere. Yes. Even if people tell me the value of housing markets down, well, I can still see my house. It yes. Some comfort. And there's truth to that. Yes. But you have to compare that to when you're owning, say, just an S&P 500 index fund. It seems like paper money mm-hmm. because all it is is a monthly statement you get or a, you know decimals on a screen on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. But if I walk out the door of your office here, I'm going to probably see a Tesla drive by. Yes. Then I'm going to see some teenager crossing the street scrolling on their iPhone. Absolutely. And then I'm going to walk by a Starbucks. Yep. And then I'm going to see someone who's wearing Levi's jeans. And so like all those are companies that you own. Absolutely. Inside of that S&P 500 yes. index. So it doesn't seem as tangible, but walk outside and see how many things made by companies in that index do you see. You own all of that. Like that's something that you have ownership in. And if you can understand it that way, that's far more robust version of diversification. Oh, fully agree. Than a single property. Yeah, it's way more meta to invest in meta, (laughs) right? But to your point, when you're doing that through investing in like, whether it's index funds or in other forms to get globally diversified, what you're doing is you're saying you believe in capitalism and you believe that people are going to wake up tomorrow to better their lives and better the lives of their own children and their communities and the people around them. Versus when we invest in a piece of real estate, we're saying, I think someone can rent this place in the near term. And one does feel way more tangible, but I believe in capitalism all the way through. I also love real estate, but it's just, you got to be really careful with it for the leverage aspect that you pointed to. I think a lot of people just don't pay attention to that. So I'm glad we brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Are we still answering the question? Or are we on to, I hope so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like going back to his original question. What are we going to do in five to eight years? I think years? we now nope, know the trade-offs between owning versus <laughs> owning a rental versus investing in the market. Yes. Thank you for keeping me on task with this. Well, this was a good question. There's so many more details we could go through. I think anytime there's like a real estate versus investing in the market question, a good question, but in a 20 minute episode, it's hard to really flesh out all the details. Yes. I think these are some of the core ones. But I mean, I still think it comes back to the idea that there is no perfect answer here. It is going to depend on what this family wants to do with their balance sheet, with their cash flow, how risky is their own current income stream outside of real estate, how much cash do they want to keep on the sidelines if they're going to go invest in real estate to make sure that if a downturn happens, they're okay. And, you know, again, the solve is going to be theirs and theirs alone to figure out. And they can use the guidance of an advisor to help with that, or they can do it on their own. But I hope this was a helpful conversation to help orient and give a framework for that conversation. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you for your question. And unless you got anything else. That's it. That's it. All right. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.